this isn't an experience that customers are thinking about often before they come into the process and then they want to get out of the process as soon as they are done. And so mostly our job is to be there for consumers who are searching for us, not to go out and get in front of consumers who are not thinking about or searching for casket and funeral needs. Everywhere you look, there are companies old and new reimagining the commerce experience and bringing more choice directly to the consumer. This is happening in every industry, including one you might not always think about, the funeral industry. For decades, consumers had limited options when they were making arrangements for the death of a loved one. Funeral homes monopolized the experience and often overcharged those who had few other choices. Scott Ginsberg and Josh Siegel wanted to change that. With Titan Casket, they, with their other co-founder, Elizabeth Siegel, have built a D2C business that puts the power back into the hands of the consumer at one of the most trying times of their life. On this episode, we talked about how Scott and Josh used the D2C playbook to disrupt the funeral industry, and we explored some of the ways they are mastering distribution and partnerships as a way to elevate their brand. Let's jump into it. Before we dive into this episode, I was hoping you could please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It helps spread the word about the show and I would really love it. So please let me know how I'm doing and give me a rating, give me a review, let us know. All right, enjoy the episode. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning a business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO of Mission.org. Today on the show, we have two guys joining us. We have Scott Ginsberg, who's a CEO at Titan Casket, and we also have Josh Siegel, who's a COO at Titan Casket. Josh, Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you all for joining. So I will admit, this is something that I have never talked about before in my life. I've been very lucky to not have people pass away around me. I haven't even thought about caskets. And so when Hillary suggested you guys come on the show, I was actually very excited to hear about this industry and learn about what's going on behind the scenes. So Scott, I was hoping you could kind of touch on first, how did you get into this industry? That's a good question. What I've learned over the time period of being in this industry over 20 years, when you go to a typical funeral home, you always have the same six caskets that they've always had. And I look at this you have to pay the same high price. There's got to be a better way. It's got to be a better experience than having that half a dozen choices. And looking at that, I said to myself, you know, I started Titan's Cask in 2016 and saying we can have a far better selection. 
uh, make this a much easier experience and save the customer 50%, if not more, of the cost of the casket. Doing that, that was really the, the whole thought process. What did I learn from that? And that's what I, that was a big takeaway. And so how long ago was that, that you started kind of spotting that there was probably an opportunity to innovate in this area? What year was that? I started Titan Cask in 2016, probably a little bit before that. You know, that was one of those aha moments. Mm -hmm. And how can we make this a much better experience? Got it. And how much do caskets run? Like I said, I don't even know what the ballpark is for what that looks like. When you're saying you could save them maybe 50%, like what's the price? Well, the range, but uh, our typical casket online is our Orion series that runs $1,099, and that can be $2,500 to $3,000 in the funeral home. Got it. All right. Josh, I want to hear how you got involved with Scott. How did you guys meet? What's the backstory there? Sure. So I was at Amazon for 10 years, running several heavy, bulky categories for them, like televisions, and later in the uh, helping them build out their logistics arm. And Scott and I had both gone to Columbia Business School. So when he started the business and was getting it up and running on Amazon, he looked me up and gave me a call. And when you're at Amazon, you get these calls all the time from vendors trying to get a leg up on Amazon. But Scott's story was so different. And when he described the structure of the industry, that there was only, there's two large casket manufacturers that control 85% of the market. They only sell to funeral homes. And so consumers really don't have that choice and, and they're overpaying. And I recognize that pattern from other categories that have gone DTC, like Warby Parker and glasses and Casper and mattresses. So I thought this is such an interesting opportunity and it's a, it's a chance to really help people going through one of the hardest and most meaningful times of their lives. And so um, it was a pretty quick decision to start talking to Scott more and helping plan out what you know we think can help a lot of people. Amazing. So what did the early days look like when you both decided, okay, we're going to tackle this? I mean, I would be a little nervous going after you know an industry that's very monopolized. What did those early days of planning and you know even thinking about how to create the product look like? Well, I said I've been in the industry for 20 years, so I kind of knew what was necessary, how the funeral director thought what the consumers looked at and needed. So um, bringing that to the table and discussing it with Josh and trying to plan out a strategy, really try to increase our product line. So essentially when we first started, it was somewhat narrow. And with Josh's help, we kind of grew it out. And now we have a thousand different products, SKUs currently. Okay. Josh, anything to add to that? I think we're still early days where before we got on the podcast, I mentioned, you know, we've been up since six o'clock this morning with our team and we meet every day and plan out um, in sprints, at, you know, how we're going to grow the company. And so there's always chaos below the surface of the, the startup waters. And, um, you know, we were growing really quickly and um, adding warehouses, but the joy of it is every day coming in and solving problems for the business and for, for helping individual customers through their, their journey. Yeah. I think at Josh's point also, what he mentioned, I, I agree with him. One of the things, I mean, for me, I think everyone on the team is, Really, at the end of the day, we really get to help people. And that's one of the things that gets us up out of the out of bed every morning is how can we help and help people in their worst time of their lives, really, you know, yep. walk them through the process. Yeah. When it comes to that awareness piece, I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, during a really hard time, it's hard to maybe think outside the box. It's hard to not be like, well, I'm told I do this, this and this, and these are the five things afterwards. So how did you, you know, grow the awareness around your company so people knew about a different type of model? Like, what did those growth tactics look like, you know, to have the really amazing growth that you've had? Sure. 
in many ways, we've followed the direct-to-consumer playbook where we've invested in content to grow organic traffic and we've invested in paid marketing. And we've also seen significant word of mouth where we will sell a casket into a community and families will tell each other about the experience they had and we'll sell a casket that even though a consumer is buying it, it's in the hands of a funeral director who's planning 80 or 100 cases a year and will come back to us and, and work with us. But you're right in that this isn't an experience that customers are thinking about often before they come into the process and then they want to get out of the process as soon as they are done. Mm -hmm. And so mostly our job is to be there for consumers who are, are searching for us, not to go out and get in front of consumers who are not thinking about or searching for casket and funeral needs. Yeah. What kind of education goes into that? Like what, what kind of content are you making or what was connecting with people when you were trying to, you know, find that niche? So um, our content we think about it in a few different ways. One is the process. You know, this is it's such an opaque process. So when somebody is in a moment, they're not often thinking the most clearly and to, and to put some structure around the process and give them education on each component of that is if you look at how our content is structured on our site, that's what our content focuses. And then nearly every customer that works with us calls us or chats with us. And so a lot of our content strategy has just been answering the questions that customers present to us every day on the phone. And so having that type of qualitative data, both to inform what products we have out there, how we're answering questions, and then what content do we create has been our approach. So I've heard quite a bit on the show about, you know, supply chain issues, logistics, shipping. And of course, when you all are coming on, I'm imagining you shipping very big bulky items, which thankfully, Josh, you have experience in. But what did the past year or two look like for you when it comes to shipping? Well, we ship everything within the U.S. for our four warehouses. And supply chain, everyone's had issues. There have been challenges, but we've been fortunate to have no hiccups, essentially. Are all your warehouses and everything here in the U.S.? Is that why, you know, went a little more smoothly than most of the people that I talked to are, you know, yes. were shipping from China and their ships were getting stuck. And so you guys have all your warehouses and everything here in the U.S.? Part of what makes us unique, you know, Scott's been in the industry for 20 years, knows everyone manufacturing domestically and internationally. So we built a network of manufacturers that can work around the supply chain issues that have come up, especially in shipping in from overseas. We do store goods in warehouses in the U.S. And so we've consistently been been in stock, although we have a thousand items. And so obviously there's, there's pockets where we're a little lighter. And then we built an organization where we have an entire team that all they do is track shipments. We're in a business where you can't miss. If you've ordered furniture lately, you may know that the date you get when you check out is... Never correct. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I personally know that. <laughs> exactly. And that's probably okay. You know, if your couch shows up a few days later or two weeks six later. Six months. Yeah, yeah exactly. Six months. You're, you're okay. <laughs> but for us, we need to promise a date to consumers yeah. that we have to hit. We... Our, make sure ahead of time we can do it. We won't sell an item if we can't meet that timeline. We track items every day. We have you know ending courts to pull if we need to get a truck out if a driver breaks down on the side of the road. But we make sure we we don't miss because we're not in a business where that's acceptable. Yeah. Do you ever you know talk to other folks in the industry, not your industry, but just other industries where you kind of maybe recommend like, hey, maybe you should bring more things you know into the U.S diversify a bit so you wouldn't have to worry about these problems in the future. I mean, that's something I've been thinking about a lot, especially when I see our trade deficit. I'm like, okay, maybe we just need to bring more things into the U.S. here, and then we would not have as many issues as we have had. But do you ever experience that right now when you talk to other people? 
we do see that. We see a lot of people out there saying, coming to us for help, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just feel bad for a lot of companies out there that they're stuck. Yeah. We have those conversations with each other to hit the, <laughs> I mean, to hit the demand that to achieve the sort of vision we have. We know we're going to have to expand manufacturing. And if we can avoid boats in that process, um, you know, that's, that's, that would be great. Yeah. Well, what's it look like? I mean, if I'm, you know, I founder right now starting a company and I'm like, okay, maybe I want to explore, you know, getting a system here, getting manufacturers here. I mean, it sounds like Scott, you have a lot of experience doing this. What would the first steps look like to actually make that, make that the plan? To be here in the U.S., I would look to, well, first off, depends on what the product, obviously, but I would look to see which firms in here in the U.S. that are still doing it. They look for a, maybe a contract manufacturer, perhaps in the U.S. that could perhaps help them. Mm-hmm. And look at their distribution model, East Coast, West Coast. How can I help, you know, from a logistic perspective, where do they have to put their warehouses throughout the country to make it more efficient? It kind of depends upon the product. Like we just mentioned furniture. You could have one warehouse in one location. It's not a timely situation where for us, it is timely. Like, like we mentioned a while back, a Halloween costume. A day after Halloween, what good is it? You want We have to get it there in a timely fashion. So, Yeah. Okay. So find some... Contract manufacturers already here doing something similar. See if you can start working with them. Yeah. Anything else that you would advise or anything to kind of look out for when you're trying to set up? What else I look out for? Having a good sales team. Mm-hmm. Just a team in general that you enjoy working with. That's probably the most important thing. Talk to Josh. I just want to make sure whoever I bring on, I like to work with and I enjoy to work with. And I would probably say that's probably the mo- one of the most important things also. Yeah. Josh seems pretty cool. Seems like a good fit. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So what do you think about maybe starting up your own, you know, facility? I was just talking with Hello Bello and they, you know, started their own manufacturing facility here in Texas and they were very bullish on more people doing that. Of course, you have to have a big budget and, you know, be able to afford that from the start. How do you think about maybe making something yourself versus hiring it out? Good question that we are talking <laughs> talking about before and after this, this conversation. I'm just getting into your brains right now. You know, there's obviously financial models you can do where you're looking at the, the ROI of the capital expenditure that you're putting out and making sure that you have volumes that you could either yourself sell or sell through other partners because there's a sort of minimum size you need to be. There's the time and effort that that takes and that may distract you from running your core business off. And depending on who you are and how core this capability that you need to own long term you know, it can take all of your time very quickly unless you have good good people in place who know how to manufacture. And then you have to think about um, what problem are you really solving? You know, if you want to own manufacturing, just achieving scale. Like like I mentioned, there are two large manufacturers who won't work with us, <laughs> who control most of the market. And if we want to achieve scale, it, it's something we may need to own. That's not the case depending on the, the strategy of the individual company. Yeah, I always wonder how many companies kind of stop at that where they're like, oh, well, these two companies own, you know, all the contract manufacturers here. So like, I can't really do anything because of that. Like how many businesses stop and then quickly go overseas because of that? Yeah. It's not something you may start on day one with, but um, I think Scott's a big proponent of in all parts of our business. He pushes having redundancies where, you know, what is our plan A, B, and C on the manufacturing side, on the shipping side. And so I think you, you have your the plan, but then you want to make sure that um, if something goes sideways that you, uh, you know, you don't go to zero. How do you think about that planning process, Scott? Like, I mean, yeah, it sounds like you've definitely got things very buttoned up over there. So like, how did you think about this past year or prepare for that in a way that 
you know, gave you options. Creating a plan for like, if there's a downturn, if we're, you know, one of our facilities goes down, like creating different scenarios, how do you kind of go about planning them? Well, it's a good point. Like since we have multiple warehouses throughout the country, so we put them in strategic locations. So we have to ask ourselves, how fast can we get something from point A to point B? So from a logistics perspective, we look at to have a somewhat of an overlap. So for example, last year we were hit in the middle of the country with these ice storms. I don't know if you remember that. Oh yeah, being in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that shut us down in one of our locations. But the other ones overlapped certain areas. So in some instances it was a little a hair longer to get to, but those redundancies kind of kicked in. So that's one of our strategies and going forward, we're looking to expand that also. Got it. I want to hear a bit about the way that you sell. Because I saw your, I think also on Amazon, you sell on your website. Yeah. It sounds like you work with funeral homes. Yeah. Tell me how you all thought about the different channels and, and do people go on Amazon and buy caskets? That was also a big question for me. Like, sure, no. People do that. One of the keys to, in my opinion, sales is distribution. So getting the biggest distribution of our product out there from Sam's Club, Walmart, Costco, Amazon, and also, you know, our website, titancasket.com, that was really one of our strategies to get it out there, getting awareness, because more people looking at our product and seeing it gets that awareness and also drives people to our site also. Yep. What does that look like, keeping track of everything, going on Amazon? I mean, were there any surprises? I oftentimes hear people saying, oh, we started on Amazon, then we pulled off because we decided we didn't want to sell there. And then we went back on. What did that look like behind the scenes when you were basically selling everywhere? Yeah, I mean, each company has their own way of doing business. So uh, adapting to each one is uh, somewhat unique. And you just have to know how to work within that company, basically. And Josh is really good at this also. Josh brings a lot to the table when it comes to that. Amazon is the search engine for products. So it's where people start. And if if you're trying to get volume and awareness, you want to be on Amazon. And so there was a lot of early traction with Amazon. But it's an expensive sales channel. As you alluded to, it, it can be complex to work with, especially on the heavy bulky side. It does not deliver the customer experience that we would want in terms of having a hands-on process. And so we see it as a, a big part of our where we advertise and, and drive awareness. But over three quarters of our sales are through our own site. I think any direct-to-consumer brand, um, especially now with the no-code tools and the ease of being able to do that yourself with a small team, you really want to own that customer relationship and own that customer experience, that's where you're going to be differentiated. That's where you're going to create value long-term. And that's where you're going to create that um, ongoing voice to a communication with, with customers. Got it. What's it look like when you're, I mean, if you're advertising and you're kind of gaining awareness on Amazon, I mean, what does the process look like to also kind of nudge them and be like, and go check out our website for more details and education? Like, how do you actually make that funnel work for you? We want our customers to buy wherever they're most comfortable buying. And so Amazon is obviously very trusted place to buy. And especially for such a personal item, customers do like buying there. And that's that's fine. We know customers do. We can look at the amount of direct traffic we have or brand searches where we know customers are seeing us elsewhere and coming to our site and finding us through Google. We manage every sale the same on our back end, where we're, we're a seller on Amazon. We're not doing FBA. So it's still our customer service team product moving from our warehouses. And you know we're not going to treat an order any differently it's a little harder to get in touch with the customer because you have to work through Amazon systems. Yep. And, you know, they call us and, and need a different address where we can't do that through Amazon. There's some restrictions, but other than that, it's the same. Uh, it's the same. Got it. And what about Costco and Sam's Club? I mean, you all are where everyone 
you know, would love to be. So how did you get into Costco and Walmart and Sam's Club? And what does that working relationship look like? It's took years. Um, they're both a little different. Costco is the sort of original online seller of caskets. They've been in the, doing this for 15 years. And oh, really? Talk to most customers. Yep. I don't know if we've mentioned there's a, a FTC funeral rule. Did we mention that? No. What is this rule? So there's, uh, we mentioned, so there's the industry structure where there's a couple of manufacturers, they only sell to funeral homes. So you, customers face this markup. But in the 80s, the FTC passed a funeral rule, which gives consumers the right to buy products outside of the funeral home and have them shipped to the funeral home and they cannot be charged or otherwise burdened by that choice. And so when that was passed, you know, years later, Costco got into it selling caskets direct to consumers at, at significant discounts. So Costco's, you know, the when consumers think about both buying caskets, if they think of anything, they think of Costco. And second, consumers just, their members love Costco. <laughs> they just love yeah. Costco. And they trust that if you're in if the product that Costco's offering, it's a very curated selection, unlike Amazon. Product that they're offering will be high quality and a great value. And so we only launched on Costco a few months ago after you know years of working with the buying team there and designing the right selection for them. Um, and it's been a phenomenal channel for us so far. Sam's we we approached differently. They were not in caskets. And so for them, you know, we we worked with the team to design out what is the experience and how could they be confident that they were providing excellent value and, and experience to their consumers. And, and so we we helped launch that category earlier last year as well. Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders, distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Upnext in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. With Costco, are you, because I know I was reading an article about them and essentially their Kirkland brand always has to be slightly better than a name brand. So if like, if they have Starbucks, their Kirkland coffee actually has to be better by whatever, you know, maybe the ingredients better, or maybe it's organic and Starbucks isn't like, there has to be something. Is your name brand in Costco or are you kind of their Kirkland brand now? A name brand. You're the name brand. Yeah. Okay. Got it. There's not a lot of private label strategies in um, in any retailer in caskets. I think at one point we talked to Amazon about yeah. <laughs> about a brand, yeah. but I think you know retailers are you know would be cautious about putting a Kirkland casket um, out there. But we'd be happy to work with them <laughs> if they approach us on it. Were there any surprises when you got Costco? Now is there? I mean, I'm sure you guys have been very busy over the past couple of months since you signed with them. Like, was there anything that you weren't expecting when it comes to working with these bigger retailers? They're also different. Yeah, that's the thing. Every system, every company is just different to work with. And the way you work with them, too. Some are more hands-off. They're just different, really. Yeah. How are you keeping track of everything then when it comes to the data and the customers? Like, how do you get a consolidated view when Sam's Club is different than Costco and Walmart? And Well, the person that we haven't spoke about here, who is one of our co-founders, is Liz Siegel. And she really keeps us going okay i like to call liz our our secret weapon she's uh basically she's founded multiple direct-to-consumer startups she has scaled that customer service team and uh, operations team and for i mean she's pretty amazing she's uh has a 97 percent on time 
delivery rate on all our products. Wow. Which is in the heavy bulk space. Yeah, that's great. Go Liz. Yeah, I mean, she's great. And she's also has over 400 five-star reviews. Getting back to the initial question, who keeps us straight? Who keeps us in line with each one of those organizations? It's Liz. Wow. That's cool. Amazing. Where do you guys want to innovate over the next coming years? Are there more things that you're trying to disrupt? I mean, I'm just thinking this is probably just like tip of the iceberg, the actual caskets. I'm thinking about paperwork and everything else that comes with it. Are there other areas that you're looking to disrupt right now and get into? Yeah. So if you think about to your point, if for customers today, when they are planning a funeral, they often start with the venue, which is the funeral home. And every decision they make after that is from the book of business that's at the funeral home. What we've done and what we started with is, is untethering the casket decision from that. So now you have more options and you have more selection and different pricing on the casket. And so for us, we see us evolving through, through every decision you would make as you're planning a funeral. And so a consumer should really start with, you know, what is the way I want to honor this loved one? And what is the way I want to remember them? Therefore, what is the end-to-end experience we want to have, including the product? And that's, that's how we see us working and uh, evolving our, our business is, is having customers come to us and working with them on planning out the entire process, whether that's in the moment or, or years in advance. And if they're thinking or planning with their loved ones ahead of a loss. We ultimately look to become really the digital solution for funerals at the end of the day. That's our goal. And really help our clients tell them what to expect, what to anticipate, some of the pitfalls are so they can make a really good informed decision Really, but at the end of the day, you know, not to take that, not take emotional loss and turn it into a financial loss. That's really the goal of our, what we do here. Help clients and try to give them a nice experience and, um, you know, be there for them. Yeah, I love that. Are there any new material requests that you're getting over these past year or two? I've kind of seen this shift of, you know, consumers wanting more eco-friendly things and biodegradable and, you know, it seems like a different style is kind of emerging and a different need. Have you also been seeing that in your industry as well? Yeah, there's been a trend there. We do offer on our site uh, eco-friendly and green options that has been growing. And that's a segment that we are currently looking at to expand also. Cool. I love that. All right. Well, let's move over to the lightning round. The lightning round is where I will ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Scott, Josh, I'll just go back and forth. Okay. Pick whoever I want to answer the question. And then you have to... Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why not? All right. Josh, if you had a podcast, what would it be about? And who would your first guest be? <laughs> so, I mean, the you know, having spent 10 years at Amazon, I'm probably biased. But the couple of meetings I was in with Mr. Bezos are probably three of the most you know meaningful meetings I've had in the last 10 years, just observing the way he, he works at all levels and the way he's thinking on a different, where he's thinking 20 steps ahead and, and making decisions that he will come to materialize three years out. And so every time I've had those types of conversations in my career, whether it's with him or, or others at that sort of stratosphere, they're conversations you are thinking about for weeks afterwards. And so um, I think a, a podcast that worked with individuals who had bootstrapped and built um, these sort of world-changing businesses would be, would be interesting. Yes, I agree. And that's awesome that you got to be in a room a few times with him. Scott, what's the best piece of business advice you've ever received that you think about time and time again? A couple of them. Surround yourself by smart people, smarter than yourself. You don't always have to have the answer, but you can recognize a good answer, a good idea. 
And don't be afraid to fail because that's all way you grow. That'd be it, essentially. Yeah, those are good. Josh, what's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you? <laughs> well, Liz agreed to, who we mentioned, agreed to marry me uh, 14 years ago. <laughs> that was nice. That's nice. And we have three kids. And so uh, there's probably <laughs> a lot of nice decisions along the path there. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Scott, uh, what's up next on your reading list? On my reading list? Well, I'm a Ken Father person, so world without end. Well, I'll check that out. I don't know that one. And then the last one for both of you, when you want to get creative and get in you know, your zone, like what do you do to get focused? Do you read? Do you meditate? Do you go outside? And it's going to sound crazy. If you see right behind me, there's a couch. Yeah. Okay, so. That's your couch? Yeah. So what I like to do for myself is I have, I can't say her name, the Amazon product, because she'll go on. I'll say play classical music and I'll sit back there and just chill. Like it. Josh, what about you? I do meditate. I use the Calm app every morning. And if I if I have a hard problem to solve or or want to be creative, it's it's sitting with a blank sheet of paper, typically very early in the morning, as soon as you wake up. Um, when I was younger, I used to be more of a writer. And you read how anyone from comedy writers to novelists, to, and the advice you always get is don't even get out of bed, just have a notepad and write for 10 minutes, whatever the thought, it, you know, those first thoughts. And then coming revisiting those notes later in the day are, you know, insights in my personal life as well as throughout the years, whether at Amazon or at Titan, um, where new ideas have originated. I'll have to try that. Well, Scott, Josh, thank you all so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for sharing about your industry and what you all are up to. Where can people find out more about Titan Casket? So the best place is titancasket.com. That's where we have um, everything about the company. And honestly, people can call us. You know, we, we're not, we're, we're a company that has the, our phone number all over the site. And uh, we love talking to clients and potential partners. And um, we're here to help whether you choose to buy, buy product from us or not. Amazing. All right. Thanks so much. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.